0: The, we learned, you know, when there's there's an attack in this country, I think that we need to look at it and learn from it and study it and figure out what happened and why. And in the same way that we would learn from and study anything that occurs that's an accident. I mean, if there's a plane crash, we have the government study what happened. You know, they take a look at the plane. Why did it crash? Was it a design error? Was it wear and tear? I mean, what actually happened? Why did the plane go down? And you take lessons from that, and you try to make improvements so that you can reduce the likelihood of it happening again. I mean, we expect that. Um... The Coconut Grove fire back in 1942. I actually had relatives who died in that fire. What did we learn? Something like there must have been, I think it was hundreds of people burned to death. We learned that they tried to escape, but the doors only opened inside, not outside, so everybody was trapped. So there was improvements made. There was a new code put in. So the doors have to open out, not in. And the result is that lives have been saved. So what have we learned from the phenomena of somebody driving a truck onto the sidewalk in New York City for the express purpose of killing as many people as possible? This person yelled out, Allah Akbar. <clears throat> the person wanted a, a, a um, an ISIS flag in their hospital room after they were shot. And they were connect they claimed to be connected to ISIS, which celebrated this as a great victory. So what did we learn? What did we learn as a country? How can we look at this dispassionately? Uh, how can we look at it factually? How can we investigate it in a way that reduces the possibility that it'll happen again? I think that what we learned from this was that there was a pretty questionable uh, immigration policy in place that permitted this guy to come into this country and um, it was, it's called the Diversity Immigrant Visa Program. It was sponsored in the late 1990s by a list of liberal Democrats headed up by, at the time, Representative Charles Schumer. And the way this program worked is that it basically, rather than um, welcoming immigrants into the country based upon merit... On whether or not, you know, they they, they have a, um, you know, you take a look and see whether or not they can be gainfully employed. You look at a lot of factors. It's a complicated question, who who comes in and who doesn't. Or if, you know, why would we have anyone come in? But if we do, instead it reduced it to a lottery, like sort of like playing Powerball or something. You know, we're going to take this number from this country, this number from that country. And people were encouraged to apply for it. The goal being that they would take people from underrepresented countries. Because, I don't know, we want to have more diversity, I guess, is the idea, ethnically. Um, As opposed to looking at merit, as opposed to looking at who the people are who are applying. And the result is that we had an influx of, of immigrants from... Uzbekistan, and that this guy that committed these murders was from Uzbekistan. Now, this was not just a murder in the conventional sense. Somebody who kills somebody because they want to as part of a robbery or or a crime of passion where they kill someone because they're jealous that somebody's sleeping with their wife or that kind of thing. This was a political crime. This was somebody who was at war with the United States and who was carrying out that war in a manner that is typical of a particular movement. I'm not going to say which movement, because this is Tufts Radio. But the the, the methodology is to just kill innocent people, as many as possible, as a way of demoralizing a society. Terror works that way. It, um, it hurts the fabric of a nation when you see, because it's so atrocious that it weakens you, it demoralizes you, it, it creates fear. Um, I think that's the strategy. I mean, unless someone has a better explanation for this sort of thing. Um, and the, the fact is that this person came to this country because of this diversity immigrant visa program that was sponsored by Charles Schumer in the late 1990s. So I take a look at this in an article that I wrote for Newsmax, which Newsmax has decided not to publish, called Green Lights for Terrorists. And um, I think I'll read a little bit of it since um, my who's, whoever's coming after me is not here yet. The bizarre liberal policies that facilitated the arrival and atrocities of the Uzbekistan terrorist Sefulo Sepov who brutally murdered eight and injured 11 in New York on Halloween, are now being clouded in the usual miasma of confusion and double talk. To understand the public policies and those who are culpable in this regard, we must put aside politics and identify the problem to save lives going forward. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio has abolished, had abolished upon becoming mayor. By the way, he was just reelected with a huge landslide. I think a lot of that was fueled by Trump hatred. Had abolished an NYPD task force set up by Mayor Rudolph Giuliani after the September 11, 2001 attack which had developed a comprehensive intelligence network that tracked radicals within the Muslim community. de Blasio ended that task force to stop the profiling of a group of that itself is subjected to and is targeted for recruitment by radicals. As a result, the NYPD could no longer su- surveil the mosque that Sepoff attended. This insane policy seriously hampered the ability of the NYPD to keep New York safe. Now, the policy was to keep an eye on places where radicals may congregate, like mosques, um, with undercover agents who were loyal Americans and who wanted to help the government or help the FBI ensure that this terrorist movement did not make inroads into the country. I find that to be perfectly reasonable. I see nothing wrong with that. You know, in the 1960s, the FBI did this with the Ku Klux Klan, and they practically destroyed it by having informants join the Klan and report and, and find things that were illegal and then these people would be arrested or they keep track of uh, potential uh, terrorist activity Um, that's what the FBI is supposed to do (coughs) they're supposed to surveil radical groups this is what the Southern Poverty Law Center does it's a very left wing group by the way very biased. They'll call any conservative a white supremacist, you know, that kind of thing. And they're being sued for that, by the way, and should be. But at the same time, if they were honest brokers, then that would be fine. We ought to keep an eye on radical organizations who are engaging in, or who are threatening to engage, in violence to overthrow our society and our government and lawlessness. It's no different than keeping an eye on the mafia. You know, you have to read the story of how the FBI destroyed the Boston mob. I forget the name of the book. I read it years ago, but it was a very well-done thing. They were able to bug Jerry and Julo's uh, office on Prince Street in the North End. They did it with the permission of a judge behind closed doors, that being Judge Diane Kottmeyer, a very good judge, who gave them permits to do it because they presented evidence behind closed doors. And um, she gave a green light to letting them do it. They did it, and they were eventually able to arrest Angelo and the rest of them, and they broke the back of the Boston mob. Same thing with Whitey Bulger. I mean, the problem with Bulger, of course, was that the FBI became corrupt and they started to you know, become a part of the, the gang but eventually they all went to jail because of good solid detective work that's what the government is supposed to do and that's what they were doing after 9-11 when they took a look at mosques now you say oh, they, they, this is discrimination against Muslims not at all, it's the opposite it's protecting Muslims they're the ones who are the first victims of these terrorists. I mean, if there were, if there was a Jewish terror group in this country that was trying to drive trucks into crowds, then we would look at synagogues. I mean, it's just that's what's going on. I mean, it's just an identification of of a certain reality. But when 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 De Blasio became mayor. He thought, oh, we can't have this. It's it's somehow discriminatory. And so he got rid of it right away. And thus, it's very difficult now for the New York Police Department to take keep tabs on potential terrorists. And by the way, this group was extremely effective. They were respected nationally. They worked not just in New York City, but they worked in the tri, tri-state area. And um, their stuff was was very much depended upon so that's the first thing secondly back back to my article here de Blasio's inexplicable policy which put the lives of all New Yorkers at risk represents the flowering of seeds that were first planted by various liberal congressmen in the 1990s before the 9-11 attack in 1990, New York Representative Charles Schumer was got the guiding light behind the Diversity Immigrant Visa Program, a law that changed immigration policy from one based on merit to a lottery system that would work like Powerball. If you came from a select country, one that the government felt was underrepresented, you could win a one-way ticket to the United States. This strange idea became law around the same time that Representative Barney Frank of Massachusetts came up with the brilliant idea that visas should not be denied to immigrants due to their ideology. The only way a visa could be denied in Frank's 1989 amendment to the Immigration and Nationality Act was if there was proof that the applicant um, if that there was proof that the applicant had been involved in terrorist activities something that would be virtually impossible to prove. Bill Clinton's CIA director, James Woolsey, in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, described Frank's law as having opened the floodgates to foreign terrorists. Frank would proceed in the 1990s to spearhead the passage of additional immigration laws that would further hamstring the efforts of embassies and student visa programs to vet immigrants. These politicians embrace a wrong outlook, one that places some hazy idea of international diversity over the interests of safety and safety of their fellow American citizens. Frank claimed that he pushed the law that would let in terrorists legally because he resented the fact that Colombian poet Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the author of Memories of My Melancholy Whores, was denied a visa due to his association with Fidel Castro and Cuban communists. Yet Representative Frank could have chosen to personally sponsor a trip by the harmless Marquez, and with State Department approval, Marquez would have been able to launch his tour of liberal colleges where he could sit around the proverbial campfire with trust fund babies who could share their warm and fuzzy feelings about communist dictators. But instead, Frank sponsored a law in the name of ending discrimination that would let in foreigners of all ideological stripes, including anti-Semites, Islamic supremacists, communists, and presumably all sorts of anti-American radicals. We should note that there is no such right in international law and custom for a person to go from any sovereign nation to any sovereign nation. Indeed, one of the most basic functions of national sovereignty for all sovereign nations is to decide who enters the national home. This is the same principle that dictates that the individual and the family has a right to decide who enters their own place of domicile. Animals understand this principle. Try to invade the space of a dog, and you will have your proof of this. Yet utopian liberals like Barney Frank, Charles Schumer, and Bill de Blasio seem to think that there is something, quote, progressive about swinging open the border and letting anyone pour in. They are almost as much to blame for the consequences as are the mass murdering terrorists themselves who accept the invitations offered them. Now, this is a tough article. I'm not certainly going to deny that. Um, this is... um. You know, I mean, I, 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 Newsmax won't publish it. They, they're not comfortable with it. Um, you know, they, they don't publish everything I write. And uh, this one was too much for them. They, they just don't think that it's, uh, it's something that they can do. I mean, the, the publisher just won't. Uh, he won't regard it. And yet I, I did some research and I have a pretty good back background to prove that that this is the case that Barney Frank did author these these bills. He was the chief sponsor and that they were passed in the late 1980s and early 1990s. What they did was they opened the floodgates to terrorists. They ra- they they basically made it more difficult for the government to deny visas to people that they suspected might be part of a terrorist movement. They also made it more difficult for the FBI and the CIA and other government agencies to share information about terrorists. Um, and the result was a rise in terror, and including the events of 9-11, When the 19 hijackers all were here with legal visas. Some of them might have expired, but they were all legal visas. Thanks to the Frank Bills. Now, this was an issue that came up in my campaign against Barney Frank in 2004. It's an issue that I brought up to his face in debates. It's an issue that he didn't deny. All he said basically was that he had been exonerated of any guilt in this regard by the 9-11 Commission, which was headed up by former New Jersey Governor Thomas Cain, a nonpartisan commission, which did some very good work, however... The commission deliberately did not mention any names, which I think was a mistake. So we really never saw any person ultimately held accountable for the bad policies that contributed to that horrible event. And so, therefore, Barney Frank wasn't mentioned because none, nobody was mentioned. I mean, it's just uh, that's not how the commission did it. Which I, I mean, I've always found to be somewhat of a cover-up. He also acknowledged that he wanted to let in Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who was on an attorney general's list as a communist, uh, who was a friend of Castro's, who was a Colombian poet, who was very popular in American college campuses, who wanted to come to this country so he could sell books in our capitalist country and make a few bucks and then go back home to his communist paradise, Right. Uh, there was nothing wrong with, with that. He was harmless. He was the only, the only thing, I mean, I say sarcastically, the only thing he threatened was the trust funds of some of these rich college kids who love, who wanted to sit around the proverbial campfire and, and talk about the wonders of Fidel Castro. Um, so as a result, Congressman Frank, or any congressman, could have sponsored the trip for Marquez, He could have simply sent a letter to the secretary of state stating that he would sponsor the trip. And the secretary of state, 99% likelihood that they would have given a a, a pass on that because, you know, I mean, you know, why not? I mean, it wasn't like, he wasn't letting in a terrorist. It wasn't like he was, Ben Laden was coming in to do a book tour. It was just some nincompoop poet. So sure, he'd sponsor the trip. But instead, Barney Frank felt that it was unjust that people like Marquez could not come in, so he felt that we should let everyone in unless they were involved in quote-unquote terrorist activities. Now, what that did was it raised the bar of proof because it's almost impossible to prove that someone's involved in terrorist activities. It would be... I don't think it would be possible to prove that Bin Laden was involved in terrorist activities. I mean, we don't have the kind of ability to research this sort of thing overseas. Hitler wouldn't have been... You couldn't prove that he had, had terrorist activities. He didn't actually order the Holocaust. He might have ordered it verbally, but there's no proof. I don't think there's anything in writing where he wrote down a, a direct order saying, um, I hereby decree that, that, that uh, we should kill 6 million Jews. If Stalin didn't write anything down, neither did Lenin. I mean, it's, it's, it's like this kind of standard is virtually impossible. So the result is that the terrorists started coming in. And my source on this is several. Uh, Congressional Testimony by Stephen Emerson, the documentarian who made Jihad in America. Um, The uh, author uh, Gerald Posner, who wrote the book While America Slept. The, you know, Bodansky, the, uh, the Israeli terror expert who testified before Congress. Many other sources have pointed out, including former Bill Clinton CIA director, James Woolsey, in the Wall Street Journal, they've pointed out that these bills before Congress, and they were passed, many of them, made it easier for terrorists to come into the United States to raise money, that which they would send overseas to their quote-unquote charities, to recruit people, and eventually to engage in the attack of 9 11 and other attacks. Um, this, this, these, these bills before Congress, I mean, these laws are so incredibly stupid. And this is from the, the, this, this congressman that we were constantly told was the smartest man to ever walk the face of the earth. But they show a really bizarre way of thinking of the, about the world. Um, You know, this is somebody's idea of progressive. This is supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to be enlightened. I mean, at the time, he had these articles posted up on his own congressional website. Very insulting articles criticizing people who would not want to have these people come into this country because their ears might be hurt. We can't have, you know, they don't want to hear ideas that they may not agree with. You know, we have to let in every... We cannot discriminate against people based on ideology. What about racism? What about anti-Semitism? What about white supremacy? Those are ideologies. Should we just let people come in from foreign countries and embrace those ideologies? I, I would absolutely say no. This nation, just like any sovereign nation today and throughout history... This, based on international law and custom, has the right, the in fact, the moral responsibility to decide who comes into the national home. There's no right to come into a country. It doesn't exist and shouldn't exist. It's the most basic function of any sovereign nation is to preserve the right to deny someone Entry is so different than you denying someone entry into your own home. Do you have to let everybody come into your home? I mean, that's a natural right. It's a normal right. It's lawful. You do not have to let someone come into your home who you don't want in your home. And you don't have to explain that to anyone. There's no explanation needed. You know, there are laws against someone entering your home unless they're invited. It's called breaking and entering. It's called loitering. It's called trespassing. That person could go to jail if they do it. And should. And if someone comes into your home, you have a certain amount of right to regulate what they do in your home. And you have a right to decide when you no longer want them in your home. You can tell them when they have to leave. And if they don't comply... They could be charged with a serious crime. I don't think anybody... That's not controversial. I mean, we all understand that. Animals understand this. You don't enter a bird's nest. You don't enter a beaver's dam. You don't enter a bee's hive. You don't enter a wasp's nest. You don't enter an ant colony. Unless you want to see a reaction. Right? I mean, that's just part of nature. It's normal. You know, we protect our own space. We have a right to do that. And the sovereign nation acts as a national entity that protects our national space. Because we can't do it as individuals. That's why we form nations. It's one of the most basic elements of why we have sovereign nations. And this is a great progressive movement. Which gets to why Bonnie Frank and these other liberals like Charles Schumer and Bill de Blasio and others. Why they oppose this. They oppose it because they don't like sovereignty. They're not comfortable with a nation determining its own uh, policies regarding entrance. They think there's something regressive about that. They think that there's something somehow backward or artificial about a sovereign nation establishing borders. So they they passed these laws that would circumvent the ability of our government and our elected officials to decide who enters the country. They criminalized it. Let me give you some examples. House Resolution 4427, which was passed in 1990, a bill to amend, this is one of the Frank Amendments, Uh, a bill to amend the Immigration and Nationality Act with respect to the grounds for exclusion and deportation of aliens. This law would make it harder for immigration, State Department, and embassy officials to exclude visa applicants who sought entry to conduct work in support of international terrorism, including recruiting, fundraising, and propaganda. The law raised the bar of denial for visas to those who were proven to be involved in terrorist activities, which is often impossible to prove. Now, there's about seven or eight of these laws that were passed in the early 1990s. What they did was they hamstrung the ability of our State Department and of our secretary and of our embassies to deny visas to people because they had not been proven to be involved in quote terrorist activities. Before that, they had the discretion to say no to someone. Even if you had a hunch. You know, if you see somebody coming, you know, see some, see something, say something. I mean, even if it's a gut feeling, you could say no, you're not coming into the United States. I mean, that's appropriate. There's no right to come into this country. You're not discriminating. Yes, of course you're discriminating. We, uh, The whole idea of immigration is that we discriminate. We decide who, who we find desirable and who we don't. And the way that we express that is through our elected government. And if we don't like the way our decisions by our elected government, we can elect another government. But putting that aside, it is the right of our government and of our embassy officials, our homeland security officials, our State Department, and all of those who function in this regard, immigration... We give them the responsibility to act on our behalf and to make decisions about whether or not a person or people are desirable to enter into our national country. Whether or not they mean us well. Whether or not their intentions are good. And if they think that they're not good, even if it's just a hunch, we darn well ought to trust that. We have a right to expect that. Well, Barney Frank felt that was discriminating, you see. So he and his liberal friends invented out of whole cloth these laws that would prohibit our government from making those kinds of decisions. I'll just read an excerpt from Gerald Posner's book, While America Slept. Um... This is pages 1718. The book is Why America Slept, The Failure to Prevent 9-11. Ronald Reagan might have named the Soviet Union as his primary foreign policy nemesis, but Islamic extremists were getting his attention and increasingly making the United States look vulnerable and weak. From 1983, the 1983 bombing of the Marine barracks in Lebanon that killed 241 soldiers, To the 1985 hijacking of TWA flight 847 and the cruise liner Achille Lauro, Middle Eastern terror was now on the White House priority agenda. Senior CIA officers complained to the president's national security team about their frustration with the FBI and warned that America was vulnerable to Islamic terrorists entering on legal visas and setting up sleeper cells. Reagan responded in September 1986 by forming an interagency task force, the Alien Border Control Committee, whose purpose was to block entry of suspected terrorists and to deport militants who had either come into the country illegally or had overstayed their visas. The CIA and FBI joined the ABCC effort. Six months after its formation, the ABCC had its first notable success. The CIA tipped off the FBI to a group of suspected Palestinian terrorists in Los Angeles. The Bureau arrested eight men, but instead of being lauded, the Bureau and the agency came under harsh attack from, quote, civil liberties groups who argued that the ABCC should be banned from using any information the CIA gained from government's routine processing of visa requests so in other words somehow these so-called civil liberties groups thought it was a bad idea for our government agents to share information about terrorists I'd like to know exactly what they had in mind on that anyway moving on Congressman Barney Frank the Massachusetts Democrat who was a strong advocate of protecting civil liberties let me just pause here for a minute There's no such thing as a civil liberty for someone visiting the United States. I mean, if they're here, they're entitled to their rights, but there's no right to be here. If someone is here in this country and they're engaging in any activities that we deem inappropriate, we have a right just like any sovereign nation here today or historically to deport that person. You can't come in here and start agitating anti-Semitic activities or anti-Muslim you know, mu- Muslim activities, anti-Jewish anti-Christian activities anything that, whatever it is, you can't do it you know, we have a right to say no to that there's no such thing as a civil liberty for someone entering the country and having a right to do so, that doesn't exist shouldn't exist I just want to make that as a footnote here so, Congressman Barney Frank led a successful effort to amend the Immigration and Nationality Act so that membership in a terrorist group was no longer sufficient to deny a visa. Can you imagine that? So you could be a member of a terrorist group, but you, th- that was not sufficient to deny you entry into the United States? I mean, you would have to be involved in, quote, terrorist activities to be denied a visa under this law. Under Frank's amendment, which seems unthinkable past post 9/11, a visa could only be denied at the government if the government could prove that the applicant had committed an act of terrorism. Rendered toothless by the Frank amendment, the Reagan administration had virtually no way to block entry visas, even when there was information linking the individual to terrorist groups. So. This Frank Amendment, which came into law, was passed in 1990 and signed into law by, by George H.W. Bush, as, as Barney Frank said to me directly. To, oh, no, this wasn't a liberal Democrat thing. I mean, I don't know what kind of backroom deal was made for that, but whatever. We can't even imagine. Yeah, you know, they shift the blame. That, that this would, you know, grant visas to people in, who, who actually had been members of terrorist groups but who had not engaged in terrorist activities. Can you imagine the stupidity of that? Why would we want to let someone like that come into the United States? What possible good would they do this country? Why would we do this? It's bizarre. It's quite... It's, it's insane. I mean, are we going to let Nazis come in? Oh, by the way, Barney Frank put in a little codicil into the law saying that people who were involved with Nazism during Hitler's regime would be exempted. They would not be allowed in. So he made an exception for them. Did not make an exception for Hamas or Hezbollah or Al-Qaeda or other supremacist, anti-Semitic, anti-American terrorist groups. No, they are okay. Just the former Nazis. I mean, it's just it's so arbitrary. Okay, so... I think that we should probably have somebody coming in here shortly. Um, because I don't know if I could do another hour. But if I have to, I will. That's radio. Eventually someone's going to show up. Um, this is from a book called Wedge by Mark Reebling, published 1994. It's uh, the secret war between the FBI and the CIA. Reebling referred to how the Frank Amendment hamstringed the ABCC when he referred to a, quote, special FBI-CIA unit, that being the ABCC.